Sawabona, my friend. You may be wondering what in the universe does Sawabona mean and what is its significance to this podcast? Well, for starters, Sawabona is a South African greeting that translates to we see you, we meaning us and our ancestors. We felt the vibration of this beautiful word and greeting so strongly, and we hope you do too. We're Kelly and Nadine. As recovering perfectionists and people pleasers, facing our shadows and healing our trauma has been the single most liberating and loneliest quest we have ever encountered. Until that is, we met each other. That's when we discovered we were two sides of the same coin. Kelly's purpose is to awaken herself and others through her gift of experimenting with life and making leaps into the unknown. Nadine encourages us to indulge our senses in the delights of the material and spiritual realms. In this podcast, we will explore personal growth, parenthood, relationships, human design, midlife transitions, all things woo, and anything else you talk to your soul tribe about. Together, we're excited to share and embrace our own stories of awakening as we invite you, dear listener, to share yours. Our goal is for you to feel seen, heard, and embraced on this magical and sometimes messy ride of life. Our intention is to create a nourishing and inspiring community for those daring enough to awaken to your true, authentic self and have fun doing it together. Before we kick off this week's episode, I want to invite you to something special I'm putting together for all of you parents and caregivers out there. I don't know how you feel about it, but being a mom is the hardest role I've ever chosen in my life. What I've come to realize on my journey as a mom over the last 20 years is that there are times when it can be incredibly rewarding and purposeful, but more typical are feelings of self-doubt, regret, and guilt for handling situations with my kids in overreactive ways. As I talk to more and more parents, the common thread woven through their journeys is uncertainty and guilt and wishing they could enjoy parenting more. With the rise of social media and the growing mental health crisis for teens, especially on the heels of a global pandemic, I realize that parents are navigating a whole new world without a map. No one should have to struggle through this fast-changing world of parenting alone. If you can relate, then consider joining my new supportive community, The Village. It's a virtual inclusive place for parents and caregivers like you to come whenever you need a dose of encouragement, support, or guidance on a specific issue you're having. So here's the deal. If this sounds like something you're interested in, then consider becoming a founding member. What this means is that you'll have the opportunity to pioneer this community with me. And you'll get founding members only calls with me, early access and exclusive discounts on courses, coaching packages, workshops, masterclasses, basically anything that I come out with. And you'll receive the best rate I'll ever offer for monthly membership or lifetime access. Your insight and feedback will be invaluable in building a space that truly meets your needs as parents. So if you're ready to jump in as a pioneer for this new community, then click on the link in our show notes and join me in the village today. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the WeCU podcast. We have a special guest on today. So Sawabona to Nadine and Sawabona to Megan. Sawabona, Kelly and Megan. Hello, Sawabona. 
You're welcome. So thank you. Thank you for being here. We have Megan Colsing on the show today. She is a friend of mine and also part of my mastermind group with Allison Cullen. And I've just gotten over, over the last six months or so, gotten to know you, Megan, better. And it's just been such a fun journey to explore our human design together and grow our businesses together and to be able to, to talk about all the things, whether it's relationships or parenting or business, human design, anything in between. So it's just a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show today. We wanted to have you on because you are a therapist turned coach. And I just find this really interesting because the more and more that I'm in the coaching world, I realize that there is kind of a distinction between therapy and coaching. And I find that there are a lot of therapists who are making that shift into coaching. And so I'm really curious to hear what that transition has been like for you and why you made it. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. This is super fun. And honestly, this is the first time I've been on with like two hosts. So this is fun to have like a a multi-person conversation. So thank you for this opportunity. It's been wonderful getting to, to know you as well, Kelly, in our shared space. So yeah, all the fancy letters behind my name are licensed professional clinical counselor. And throughout all of my different experiences over the last, gosh, how old am I getting? 12, 13 plus years. I really feel like I've worked in a lot of different settings and had a good variety of experiences. The last setting that I was at was an outpatient clinic and we had a lot of, thankfully, services and opportunities to meet people of all different backgrounds, minority groups, able to help people with a variety of disabilities and and poverty and all the things. I ended up getting certified and trained to be a part of a modality called dialectical behavioral therapy. It's by Dr. Marsha Linehan. And that was really created and geared towards people that have pretty chronic Uh, unresolved trauma and typically end up falling in the personality disorders categories, diagnoses, and really struggle with a lot of like life-threatening, impulsive, high-risk behaviors. And while there are many things that I really liked about the modality itself and the variety that it brought to my practice and, and all of that, it was extremely draining work to you know, a majority of my caseload is considering ending their life and in high risk situations. And the the therapy we did was group and individual, and I was on call and it was a year long program. The clinic I was in, they had some things in place about like requirements of how many people we had to see a week and hours and just like the pace and the intensity. I don't know how that doesn't wear a person down. So it just became over time more and more apparent that I was really getting burnt out, really dreading going to work praying people would not show up so they couldn't refill my schedule and just some warning signs of like, I'm not going to give my best to any of the people that I'm helping, especially in these high risk situations and life-threatening situations when I'm feeling this way. And so I got out of that and pivoted to actually there's national programs and it's different a little bit everywhere, but to treatment courts or drug courts. I had served as the therapist on that team, but that's for people that are chronically in and out of the judicial system, in and out of jail and prison. They too, lots of trauma in their background, substance use, mental health. And so it's a really kind of a wraparound program of trying to help people get rehabilitated in the community instead of just doing the revolving door of jail and prison that isn't serving them. So I still got to use my therapy hat and bring that, my education and experience, 
but had a more administrative role. And that was really nice for a while. I missed, started to miss people. I started to miss having the intimate connections and building rapport and getting to know someone and being able to work with them and help them in that kind of way. And other factors that went into that last job became another like opportunity of this isn't it for me either. I've also learned since I'm a Manny Jen, I like to switch it up. And where I used to think that that was something wrong with me, my mom worked at the same place her whole career. And that now like coming to know myself better sounds absolutely torturous to me. So it was like another five years of doing something and I was missing people. I was starting my own personal development journey again, reaching kind of a phase in my life of needing to get to know myself and who I am now. And someone offered it up on a call was like, you know, you could do coaching. And it was like a lightning bolt in my system. I was like, I don't even know what this means, but tell me more and just open my eyes to something I hadn't considered. And we'll just say the rest is history from there of just decisions and pivots and opportunities and and exploring what I wanted this all to look like to be able to become a a virtual coach. So it's a pretty long-winded answer, but that's how I got here. No, I think it's so interesting. We love talking to every guest on our show about how they got from A to G or C or D or whatever. So it's really, it's really interesting to hear your story, at least on your career side of how you found that you were on the road, maybe to burnout with, especially when you're working with really high risk clients all the time and how you realized that you needed to protect yourself from that (laughs) at some point and to, to make a transition. And then I also love just how learning your human design also gave you permission to jump into something else. And instead of kind of following what we, like what your mom did and just doing the same thing over and over and over again for the rest of your life, which is very fulfilling for some people, but with your human design, you were like, Oh, maybe this is something that doesn't satisfy me. I like to try new things. And so I think it's really important that we, you know, in learning our human design that we can start to practice it. And so I love that you did that. Yeah. It's so funny that you're saying that because the more I deepen my knowledge into human design and I'm in a certification program right now, and that is immediately what I thought. I'm like, okay, does she have an open emotional center? Does she have a sacral authority? Like those are all the things that were just popping into my head. So I'm really curious. Sacral authority? No, I'm emotional authority. Emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been a crazy process of learning and reframing and unlearning because I had really developed, I think maybe how some of this got to, I got to be in the career that I'm in, but just in relationships and upbringing of being the calm one, being the centered and grounded one, not adding to the problems, a ton of, and even just being positively reinforced, not even negatively of just really suppressing a lot of emotion and, and swallowing it up and being the rock that everybody needed or being the good girl that's not going to like throw the tantrum out at a restaurant or, you know, whatever. And so it has been a lot of unlearning to give myself that permission and not judge it when these waves come. I have cried more in the last probably year and a half than I maybe had the entire other 35 years of my life Mm -hmm. Uh, because I just understand what's happening now. I also will say that I think I thought going through school and stuff and becoming a therapist, I had a very intellectual knowledge of emotions. Check, check, check. This is what they are. I can educate. Here's a worksheet on it. Here's a diagram or, you know, just to help people that have no emotional vocabulary at all or no awareness to 
the various intensities and all the names you can put on something and, and all of that, but it was just a very heady, it's the word I use, experience. And so now I think of it as energy and, and hearing that like emotional energy gives me such a different relationship than on how I relate to my emotions and how I move through my waves and experience them and all the things. So that has been, that has been probably some of the biggest. Yeah. I think that the emotional authority too, with all of the exposure, I guess I'll use that you had to the trauma, these trauma patients, like that is overwhelming. And I think even more so with a defined emotional center. So that was the first thing that came to mind. I'm like, wow, she's got, she's taken on a heavy, heavy load. And when you're out of alignment with that and you're not aware, you don't have that awareness, it could lead you to that burnout and feeling the way you were feeling. So, and it's so interesting too, because it served you in so many ways to be able to separate your emotional energy from yourself and almost dissociate from it so that you can serve your clients so that you could hold a safe container for your clients. Right. So Mm -hmm. whenever we look at anything in our human design, there's always two sides of it. And, and in some aspects of our life, it can really serve us. And in other aspects, it can harm us. Like, you know, talk about that in terms of, you know, personally for you, what did it mean to dissociate from your emotions in on the personal side? Because though it served you on the work side, how did that play out on your, in your personal life? So I think of, that's a, it's a really good and interesting question. Honestly, I I think of, cause I talk a lot with my clients about any sort of approach, skill, tactic, however, right. However we cope, it is reinforcing in some way we wouldn't keep doing it. There is something we're getting out of it. And oftentimes we just reach our capacity where it no longer serves us. And that's where we start to see all the red flags and warning signs, right? But I think of how it served me well. I think a good example is I I was a college athlete as well and played in a pretty big scale. I played at a division one university in, in a big conference with thousands of people watching and sold out arenas and what sport? Volleyball. Okay. Yeah. Go Badgers, right? I got to plug that now while I'm here. But I think in some way that served me well, because if I would have been totally in waves allowing the amount of eyeballs and the pressure and some of the high intensity matches and, and the things, if I would have not been able to really separate from my emotions and not have things in place to stay quote unquote level headed, I mean, I would have likely not been able to perform at my best because I would have just been overcome with fear and overwhelm and all the things. And so I think in that way is a good example of how it served me to be able to have my own strategies to kind of call myself or kind of push that aside and stay in some of this other sort of lane to be able to perform. I think on the personal side, it really has reinforced a good girl. I absolutely am a rule follower, A plus, high achieving, get on all the accolades and honor roll. I wouldn't say not that I didn't question things or I definitely felt still confident and comfortable enough to speak up and have an opinion or, you know, it it wasn't to that extent, but definitely just a lot of, I'm not supposed to like rock the boat and kind of, yeah, the, the codependency of just really prioritizing everybody else's needs and emotions and seeing that it's like, that's okay. But me adding to it is not okay. Or really having to filter it through the good girl how do I say this tactfully? How do I wait until they're ready to receive it? Even if I've been fuming over it for days, 
but let me swallow it up so it can be delivered at a time that's going to benefit everyone, you know, that kind of stuff. So just really, um, just really struggling to, and also funny that just judging them, like anger is bad, no matter how much I've talked to my clients about it. But for me to show it in the moment, I've said things like, well, that's not productive or what good is going to come from that? Or that's not effective. And I had a coach a couple of years ago. She's like, who said emotions have to be effective? And I was like, oh, okay. So just a lot, like not giving myself the permission to feel and express and process and whatever in the same way that everybody else gets to. It just reminds me of like, the more you honor someone else, the less you honor yourself. I think that fits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean- as you're talking and saying all this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm so with you. I've so been there on those situations where it's almost like you're protecting someone else from experiencing your big emotions, right? Like you're, you almost don't trust that they can handle your emotions because you're not able to handle them yourself. And so it's, it's this, there's trust involved in that, right. To be able to like express yourself fully and completely in your emotional, whether you're an emotional authority or not, I mean, we all have emotions, it doesn't matter, but yours are probably more consistently, you know, in a wave. And mm-hmm. so, whereas I would say mine as a sacral authority, they come from, but usually they come from a specific trigger or a circumstance, something that, that brings them up. But it's just, it's really interesting because I find that a lot of women that I talk to also, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this too in your experience with your clients or even with your, your therapy practice, that there's a lot of women that have this protective mechanism of people pleasing. And what does that look like to decondition from that and to move through that and to start to live our lives in a way where we are allowed to, you know, giving ourselves permission to express our emotions and to give ourselves what we need. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely definitely a common thread. So, you know, culturally, society, individual cities and systems and families that we grew up in, I, I, you know, I think it just really, a lot of us had been reinforced. The the women are to be seen and not heard. Our place is, you know, even though we're at a time when women work and, and out of the home and all the things, but we are still the default person that's supposed to be able to be the glue that keeps the whole household together and the default parent to be the safe space for our children. And just all of those messages of like, sure, sure. Like your stuff matters. It's just like third, fourth, fifth in line. Right. So once we, once, you know, everything and everyone else is taken care of, like then if you need something or then, you know, then it would be okay to, to speak up or, or whatever, or we're really criticized as being dramatic and overly emotional and too sensitive. And, you know, all the things that again, would reinforce us to, I'm just, it's just better to shut up because what good comes from this, right? We're then not trusting ourselves because we're challenged that what what we're feeling is too much to anything wrong, essentially. So then I can't trust myself that what I'm feeling and experiencing is at the intensity that it's meant to be and exactly how I'm meant to, you know, feel it. So it absolutely is like a thread. And I I, I will say, even though I had that specialty in my therapy practice, I didn't necessarily, at least at the time, feel like I was this deep dive that like, I wouldn't have said it. I I didn't feel like that was like what I was known for in a way. So even now 
taking my therapy practice and transitioning it, I kind of feel like a general practitioner, Mm. which meaning I know a little bit about a lot of stuff, but sometimes like what, what specifically do I want to help my clients with or niching down and all of that kind of stuff still feels like unsteady waters for me, I guess. I will say though, that I do feel like because it is my own lived experience and it is such a common thread for so many women that this helping women to trust themselves, to find their voice, to find their passions, to find themselves authentically really is a theme of what I feel called to do, what I'm, what I'm here to do and to help. What deconditioning has looked like is still a work in progress, of course, but it really, I think really started or, or what gave me the awareness to like how strong it was in my life and how prevalent I have been married and divorced before married my college sweetheart. We were together five or six years, only married for one, never should have gotten married and got married and divorced in grad school. So talk about a couple whirlwind years yeah. uh, and going through that, uh, the, the chaos and turmoil, the drama and coming out of it. I had a moment where the therapist I saw I was describing a situation and kind of how, how I was waiting on him and worried about him and sitting around doing nothing because, you know, all these things. And I just remember her being like, why do you have to sit around and like not live your life because he's off whatever. And I was like, good life does. I don't know. Like, I want to make sure he gets home safe. Like, what do you mean? Did you just hear about all the shit he's doing? Like, this is why, you know, but it was that first, like, I have not been allowing myself to realize and and after again, coming out of it and, and the, the depression and all the, the, all of it, I had this, like, I have been so miserable and so out of touch with how miserable I've been in this relationship. And not only like the denial was real strong, but just like all the good girl kinds of things, this is going to look like a failure. What will people think? How will they judge me? This is, you know. I'm going to school to be a therapist and I can't help my husband with this, that, or the other, right? Just all of that and surrounded. So that felt like a really pivotal point of just realizing how disconnected I was from my emotions and had that like, like this whole body. I don't even know, I don't even know if I have words to describe what that felt like. But since that time, I remember I did a lot of, and the time it still came because I'm a homework girl, I told you it still came in like lists. What do I stand for? What matters to me? What will I not tolerate? You know, what do I want? And like trying to get recentered on who I was and what mattered to me. But since that time, so that's been 10 years, 11 years ago now, it's looked like this, the deconditioning process. It has looked like one, never forgetting that moment and that conversation with the therapist. Why do you have to sit around and wait or bend over backwards or halt your life for someone else. That's a big one. Really keeping that in the forefront of my mind is when things are being triggered or or brought up or anything. But I also think it's come, and again, this is still a work in progress and I'm not, I'm not perfect at it is one, allowing myself to just cry that it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean I'm weak or anything else that we would put on it. It's just being able to say, I am moving my emotional energy. Like it is pent up. And no matter how much I'm clenching my jaw and swallowing and trying to do all the things, <laughs> look up at, you know, it's there. So allowing it to move and get in and out of me, I know it's not going to solve whatever challenge I'm facing, but it's me honoring myself and my emotions a whole lot more. I will say when it comes to like speaking up, about how I feel 
it, a lot of it for me still comes back to fears of abandonment, which is still the work that I'm doing. And yet being willing in a more real time. And again, this is the part that's a work in progress is trying to get kind of as close to like the trigger or the event as possible to be expressing what I'm going through Mm. rather than waiting and filtering and like letting some of that conditioning is ultimately going to creep back in there, right? Make sure it's perfect and polished. Are you saying in a way that's going to be well-received? Don't do, you know, don't overdo it. Yelling and screaming and, and being really mad will not be good. You know, all of that is more apt to get filtered in and still kind of squash my authentic experience. So I'm trying to, as appropriate, I have small children, so take that from like event as close to the event as possible, being real and honest with my experience so that I'm not allowing all the conditioning to creep in and really filter what I'm saying. Those would be probably some of the biggest things. Yeah. That's, that's a huge lesson right there, right? Is just recognizing that you have this gap between the experience and, or the trigger, you know, quote unquote trigger and the authentic expression of your response to that trigger and how so often we don't allow ourselves to express in the moment, which gives the other person who is potentially the, the trigger, the opportunity to see how they're affecting us, right? They don't, they don't get to see it in real time. The effects of whatever they, maybe they said something, maybe they did something, whatever. There's, there's no feedback loop for them because like I relate to you in that, in those stories of kind of holding back and keeping it within so as not to disturb or not to upset or not to create conflict, right? It's almost like an avoidance of conflict. I know that it, it has been for me in the past. And so it's like, how do you, how do you close that gap and how do you practice closing that gap so that, so that you can be in this feedback loop of relationship of authentic relationship with others? Do you feel like it's a, do you feel like that's gotten better for you over time now that you've had these realizations and how does that shown up for you? I do. And even if it's, you know, like I'll give another example. So I still talk plenty on like my social media or with my, you know, safe, trusted people about how in person in, in some, this is my, I live in my husband's hometown. I've been here for about a decade and still don't feel like I have a strong in-person network. I have really great, wonderful friends and support systems, but they're not local, right? So when you really crave that in-person connection or need the break to get out of your house and would love to be able to just call that girlfriend and go out to coffee and some of that, like I still, that's still a work in progress for me. So sometimes social things can get stirred up, right? About just desiring that more and, and whatever. And so even trying to get better about in real time, like as whatever went on, don't even remember the details, but whatever got stirred up again, honoring it and, and feeling my emotions and not suppressing them just within myself and moving that energy. And then also even just telling my husband, like, this is what I'm going through. This is how I'm feeling. I wanted you to know, you know, it it doesn't have anything to do with him really. And so he, him, not as the trigger, I still want to make him aware because if I am irritable that day, if I am closed off or, you know, taking more time for myself or, or need to, you know, I just need to go for a walk and whatever. And, and you've got dinner covered with the boy, whatever. Right. Like, so even just being transparent with the people in my world of like, this is just the headspace that I'm in, or this is what I'm experiencing, even if it doesn't have to do with them, that has felt like freeing in a way. Mm. 
and also, you know, benefiting the relationship. So it's not coming out sideways. It's not looking like I'm taking it out on him when it has nothing to do with him or he's left wondering like, what is going on with her if I'm not communicating? I've also said things to him just, you know, since we've been together 10, 12 years of like, I realized that I'm crying a whole lot more than the person that you met just because that's happening. Doesn't mean that I'm not okay. Doesn't mean that I can't handle things or doesn't mean that, you know, doesn't, I'm honoring that this is a change in me and, and I don't know what you might be thinking of it, but just know that like, I'm okay with it and it feels more real and genuine. So even though it looks different for you, like I'm still good. It doesn't, you know, that also has been like a way to really embrace that this is a part of me that I've repressed for a really long time. And I don't want to send alarm bells off to the people that have been in my world and are used to perfect polished, you know, call Megan all the time. And so just talking to them about that, like, it's okay. This is just a more real me that I'm finally kind of allowing, allowing to be. So those are some things that have really helped that aren't even necessarily like in the moment, real raw trigger specific, but still to like embrace and embody being more who I am and, and following my design. Mm. I just want to share a couple of things with you, Megan. I think mm-hmm. that Crystal, thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably. Mm-hmm. I truly, I feel emotions very deeply. I have an open emotional center and I can feel actually mirrored through you, like my experience, you know, and the journey that you've been on and how this has been, like you had mentioned, like this pivotal awakening for you and how you've really stepped into committing to yourself on a deeper level, being more authentic and how that really ripples into all the relationships around you. And so it just, I can feel how passionate you are about this healing process and how you are stepping in to support others in a different way on your coaching journey too. And so what I often see here is like how we support others in the way that we wish we could have been supported during that time. Like you are exactly where you're meant to be. You have found your path, you've found your journey, and it's so inspiring to see other women in their power, like coming into their power and showing others how to just, you know, how, how to be right. It's magical to see it. So I just wanted to share that I can see all of that in you. And the more that we are able to commit to ourselves, the more we teach others how we want to be committed to, like the more we love ourselves, the way we love ourselves is how we teach others how we want to be loved. And so I feel that coming from you. Thank you. Even hearing you reflect that back to me and for people listening that are resonating, like when I say that I'm a work in progress, I will, I will be the first to acknowledge that I feel like some of the biggest kind of these awakenings or the, the changes that I've made in this journey have really started in career, right? Where I, I find myself like refusing to settle. Or starting to say like, I don't do, you know, like I am too young and have too much ahead of me to want to be treated like this at a job or to have this be the expectation in the environment that I'm, you know, working in when it's not working for me kind of a thing. Right. So in some other ways, finding that's where it's maybe felt safer or easier, so to speak, to start there. And yet when we get knowing myself is then if so much of this has been really prevalent in meaningful relationships. So the closer proximity I get to some of the most meaningful relationships in my life, it's still a work in progress, right? Being able to 
with a, you know, a stranger on the street who's disrespectful to me and feeling like I'm going to allow my emotions and be a little, you know, ugly and irrational with my, you know, irritation and irritability and, and tell them what I think and whatever is going to feel safer than doing it with your partner or your parents or a sibling or something like that. And so I just say that for anyone that might feel like they're on this journey too, in some ways and doing, you know, acknowledging and accepting parts and pieces of themselves and becoming more aware of how deep the conditioning runs and what it looks like, that it's okay that you might, you might see the journey and the process start in certain parts of your life and know that the, the, the resistance and how stirred up and how you meet your own edges and all of that sort of stuff is it, it makes sense and it's reasonable that it's going to be that much more intense in the relationships that we're in closer proximity to, right? Or the ones that we have repressed for so much longer, or the ones where our our core beliefs run the deepest, that we're going to find that, I guess I truly believe like ongoing. Like I don't think that that in some ways that ever goes away, just our ability to recognize it and how we handle it and move through it, I think will evolve over time. So I just say that for people because sometimes we can, I hear people get kind of an all or nothing perspective, right? That I want to be, you know, I want to have this transformation. I don't want to be people pleasing at all. Well, <laughs> well, right. Giving ourselves that it, it's called a process for a reason and being able to see more growth or momentum or feel safer to do it in certain places or with certain people compared to others is very normal and allowing yourself, allowing that to be as you continue to grow, you know? Yeah. And that's, really one of the biggest reasons that we started this podcast, which tagline is the messy art of awakening, because it is not something that happens in an instant. You know, we, we, we don't wake up like we do from sleep to wake in the morning. We wake up slowly over time and oftentimes in multiple ways, like you said. And so, and it is messy. It is a journey. It is not like, you woke up one day and you realized all of these things and then suddenly you were different. You know, you're you're admitting today that you're still working on this and you're better at some areas of your life and it's showing up in still in other areas that that have maybe more layers of the onion to peel off. So I I love that you just like Nadine said so vulnerably expressed that this is a journey that you're still on and that you're able to support others in the process of their journey while you're still working on your own. I think none of us are ever going to be fully whole, wholly healed or fully complete in our journey. Like that is not what we're here on this earth to, to do. We're here to experience what it's like to be human and to be on this journey. And if that journey ends, it's because we're no longer here. So it's, it's like, how, how can we accept that some of this suffering, some of this, some of these gaps in who we want to be and who we are today exist for our, for our growth and for the process of being able to experience relationship in new ways over time. And so it's just so, it's so cool to see you on your journey with that and to be able to witness that and for our listeners to be able to see someone who like them is in the process because so oftentimes we look outward and we see what we think is a finished product and we don't see all the messy stuff that that person has been through that we idealize. And, you know, that's where 
social media can get in the way. That's where famous celebrities can really trick us into thinking that it's just this overnight sensation or whatever. And we don't see all the hard work and the journey that comes along with that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I will say when you asked about what was different about a therapist, you know, therapy versus coaching, I think that what you just said is it was part of a disconnect I was experiencing also for good reason. I was taught to be disconnected to a certain extent from my clients that I'm not supposed to share very much about myself. And if so, it's very thoughtful and intentional, which again, all of these things are for good reasons. It's not to knock therapy, love therapy, but it was a piece that just was a gap for me, a feeling like I had to be somewhat robotic and couldn't, couldn't let down my guard and be human that I was supposed to be kind of up on this pedestal and be all knowing to like help fix and cure people and all these sorts of things compared to saying like, you know, I I do remember disclosing my divorce to someone because it was relevant and whatever. And the, the shock on their face as if I was, I don't know, subhuman. I don't know. Like the, just the pure shock of like, what? And I I literally think I said, yeah, I know I'm a person too. Pretty incredible, right? Like, so that, that has been freeing in a lot of ways to feel like I can bring my humanness in a different kind of way that feels more genuine and authentic. And again, aligned with my design that was kind of frowned upon in therapy. And so that has brought some, some freedom. And I think a different level of how I'm able to help people as a coach. Mm. Well, this has been an amazing, authentic conversation. Where can our listeners continue the journey? Where can they find you? How can they work with you? Can you share with our listeners how to connect with you? Absolutely. I'm mostly on Instagram or that's the hub that I try to, you know, put all the links and all the the connecting dots and pieces. So it's at Megan M. Cole, lovely last name. So that's probably where I hang out the most. And for for the summer, just knowing summer is a little different than the rest, rest of the year, right? That I've started offering, gosh, I'm about a month in now. It's called Me Time Meetup. And it's free. It's weekly on Wednesday afternoons. And I'll get you guys the links. But it's just a place to like for people to come to talk about the things that they wish more people talked about. And rather than hiding behind the masks and the curtains and the conditioning and all the things is whatever you need to talk about to come and use the space as is. And so we've, you know, it's been so lovely to hear the variety of conversation of people being able to come and come together and support one another and just say and and talk about what they what they need. And then and actually on Monday, I will be launching my second round of what I'm calling like a mindfulness blitz of, of it's it's going to be a short five day challenge, but just trying to bring mindfulness into people's worlds, because I think we are, again, kind of encouraged and conditioned to live in this fast paced, go, 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 somewhat disconnected and detached from what's really going on for us, you know, kind of culture and kind of society. And so bringing some mindfulness in with some thought provoking questions and exercises and tips and just these kinds of things for kind of a potent five-day dose that will start on Monday. And I'm really excited about it. I had a wonderful group of women do it with me in the spring. And so now it's time for our summer version. That's awesome. And so we'll put the link in the show notes to connect with you on Instagram. Megan does an amazing job of giving and is very generous in sharing her wisdom and knowledge and experience in her world, her general practice of mental health. And so please check her out. You can get a lot of really great information there. And then also she's also started a podcast recently 
called I Am Ready. And so please, wherever you listen, go check out her podcast for all things, you know, mental health and and self-care and all of the good stuff that we talked about today. So thank you so much, Megan. And as always, before we wrap up our show, we like to pull an Oracle card. And today we felt really called to use this Oracle deck by Ellie Shoja, and it's called Your Heart Knows the Way. So it's all about leaning, leading from the heart. And I think this feels like a perfect deck. So I'm going to shuffle the cards, Megan, and I'm going to have you just tell me when you feel ready to stop and I'll pull the top card. I'll say stop there. All right. All right. So here we go. So this card says, look inward to be happy. And it's just got a beautiful picture of a, of a woman who's kind of curled up within herself. And yeah, so I love that. I love that card because so oftentimes, you know, when we're in relationships, we're in work environments, you know, so often we spend most of our days focused on what's outside of us. And when really the work is within, right. The, everything that we need to work through and to find joy in is within ourselves. And so that's, to me, that's kind of what that card means. If anybody else has anything that they want to share that came up for them as I drew that, what do you think? I just think that as always, the universe delivers exactly the message that we need to hear. And it it always is divine to the conversation. A hundred percent. I mean, the themes of people pleasing and codependency and, and, you know, good girl and all the things that I talked about in there are all ways of being towards other people and to what other kind of reminder do we need that that only gets us so far before we have to kind of come home to ourselves so that's a that's a very fun I I love that you guys end that way very powerful thank you for doing that yeah well we hope that you can take that frequency with you today Megan and you are listeners to you know continue to look within yourself especially when things outside of you are not exactly what you'd like. Just know that you have everything you need within you to transform. So thank you so much, Megan, for sharing your wisdom and your insight and your personal story with us for most of all, it's very special to hear it and to be able to share it with everyone. So thank you until next week. Sawabona. Sawabona. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To join our conversation, share your journey, or ask a question for future episodes, please send us a voice message by clicking the button in the show notes or send an email to hello at weseeyoupodcast.com. And remember to follow us to get notifications of our newest episodes when they release. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you're listening from. Until next week, Sawabona. So